Welcome to the SA for FA's Retirement Advisor Podcast, a series that addresses issues of importance to financial advisors when dealing with the preeminent issue on their clients' minds, namely their desire for financial independence. I'm your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and today, as part of an occasional series of interviews with practicing financial advisors, we will speak with Mark Mappa of Mappa Wealth Management in Glenview, Illinois a financial advisor and author of a new book called Cash Flow is King. We will speak with Mark in just a moment. But first, this word on behalf of our sponsor. Our guest, Mark Mappa of Mappa Wealth Management, this year released a new book called Cash Flow is King, which is meant to distill many of the lessons he learned as a practicing financial advisor for over 30 years. He maintains that cash flow is our very financial lifeblood. Let's find out why. Mark, thank you for joining our show. Good morning, Gil. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our talk this morning. As am I and our listeners. Thank you. Mark, you argue that investors need to think in terms of cash flow because they can't spend a rate of return. Can you elaborate on this for our audience? Absolutely. So I get that a lot. Of course, most people, they talk about clients that come to me They'll ask, you know, what type of rate of return can I get on my money? What's the rate of return on this investment or that investment, which is important. But at the end of the day, what really matters most is they're trying to build up money for a purpose, college funding, to buy a house, and for the most part, to create a, uh, to retire, create a bunch of assets for retirement. And most people, as they're working, that's their cash flow. So the mindset is they don't think of it in terms of the, their working income in the right context of cash flow. They think of it, okay, I, everything they've heard from the investment firms and financial advisors is to create some sort of rate of return on their money. But they're already doing the cash flow concept. Every pay period, every two weeks, they're getting a paycheck or if they have their own business, getting income or cash flow from that business. Then we get to the retirement. The objective should really be to create those assets in their 401k, their IRAs, their Roth IRAs, their mutual fund brokerage accounts into some sort of cash flow vehicle. But by the time they get to retirement, they've learned for or been taught for years and decades the things in terms of rate of return. The problem with the rate of return concept is it's not reliable. So if somebody asks me, what's my rate of return or what can I get? Obviously, it's hindsight, right? Past performance is not indicative of future investment results. The markets go up, the markets go down. We don't have any control over that. For the most part, we can create and have some reliability of cash flow. It's much more reliable in the form of dividends or interest and other types of vehicles that can create cash flow. That usually should be the focus that should be looked upon. Very interesting. You also discuss in your book that saving and investing are distinct and that investors need to understand the difference. Can you help us with this distinction? Absolutely. So most people I come across look at savings and investing as one and the same, and they're, and they're definitely different. I think they should be looked at differently as well. So savings is safe money, emergency fund money. You're saving for a down payment on a house that you're going to buy in a couple of years. That's your money market, your CDs, anything that doesn't have principal risk or is easily accessible. Investing involves risk. That's investing in real estate, stock market, mutual funds, 
which is fine. It shouldn't be an either or. I think everybody should have some amount of savings and some amount of investing. But savings and investing are absolutely two different concepts and places to put your money. You know, you wouldn't want to be saving for a down payment of a home and you need the money in a year or 18 months and it's invested in the stock market and all of a sudden the market's down, there's a bear market or a big market correction and you've lost a substantial part of that down payment. Even in today's low interest rate environment, it still makes sense to have that savings component for your emergency fund. You lose your job, you, you know, something breaks, you need to buy a new car, whatever it might be, you, you don't have to rely on, oh, I've got money tied up in my 401k, I've got money in stocks or mutual funds, and the market goes south, and I've got to draw it out or pay penalties and taxes and things like that. So it's definitely a balance that I, I recommend to my clients to have both savings and investing. I think the mindset should be looked at to separate the two. So you've discussed cash flow versus rate of return. You've also mentioned there's a distinction between saving and investing. Among the investors that you're in contact with, what do you find are the other biggest misconceptions? You know, there's a lot of common misconceptions that are just out there. And I try to hit the key ones in the book. One of them, for example, is, you know, relying on dividends and interest. Now, again, that's a form of cash flow that I talked about. I think that's important. But you definitely can't rely on dividends or interest because we know dividends aren't a guarantee. And we know there's companies that have cut their dividends and thus their stock price typically drops substantially. I'll use two real quick examples. GE, which has been known in the past as a staple of the American economy. And a lot of people used to think GE was you know, at one time it was a great company and it was so diversified and, a, you know, could be looked at as a mutual fund in itself. It was so diversified. And then not too long ago, they wound up cutting their dividend and then the stock price dropped substantially. So if somebody was, say, retired especially, and they were relying on GE, the dividend from GE stock, they're put in a very difficult situation. Not only has their income or their cash flow from the dividend dropped substantially, but now the stock price, the value has dropped. So what are they going to do? Are they going to sell the stock and put it somewhere else, put it in a low interest savings account, look to buy another stock? They, they could, but then they still run that risk of what if that company or that investment dividend drops substantially. So dividends are important, but you can't rely on, it, rely on them. I think too many people take that approach. And same thing with interest. You know, number about, what, 10, 15 years ago, interest rates, even on CDs and money markets, were 5 6%. And people would die for anything, you know, you know, close to that, you know, where we're at today. So imagine a retiree that was putting their money in CDs and money markets and saying, I'll just live off the interest and keep the principal. And then interest rates where they're at today, barely 1%, something's got to give. Either they have to cut their expending and the question is, can that retiree cut their spending down? They might not be in a position to. They might have a mortgage and other you know, healthcare expenses they need to cover, or they have to go into their principal. And the issue with that is, if you go into principal, and let's say you have a million dollars, and you were getting, say, 50000 a year at one time uh, for retirement income, and now you're only getting, say, 1% or 2%, well, you're, if you don't cut into your... Uh, uh, reduce your expenses if you're able to, you're going into your principal and then you run the risk of depleting the account. And I always say if, if you deplete the account, no, no value, no income. That's, that's one of the uh, 
misconceptions. The other one is that you'll be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. And that stems from a time frame when tax rates used to be much higher, people would retire and ideally could live off of less income. Those rules don't really work in today's environment. Arguably, we're in a very low tax rate environment. We have a huge national debt, 22 plus trillion dollars in, in counting. At some point, tax rates are going to go up. And what a lot of people don't realize is that with higher costs, higher future potential taxes, is that they might not be able to afford to live off of less income in retirement. That's just the, the, you know, the general rule of thumb. The reality is, is that even though some things might go away in retirement, like saving for retirement, putting money in a 401k, you might not have a mortgage any longer, but in retirement, you have other things that you have to potentially pay for. Long-term care, either a long-term care policy, which is an out-of-pocket cost, or if you ever need to go or if you're married your spouse into a nursing home or long-term care facility, you'll have those expenses that you want to address. And then a lot of retirees want to maybe have a second home or, re- or a winter home that they can go to for warm weather. So they might not have a mortgage where they live and they might look to downsize, but property taxes are still going up. And again, if tax rates go up and they don't have any deductions to offset that, so it's not an automatic guarantee they'll be in a lower tax bracket. And then the last one, well, not the last one, but a number of them that um, that I hear a lot is that you can rely on the, the withdrawal rates that, that are recommended by much of the financial services industry. You know, we've heard the rule from the, the, you know, the 4% rule, that you can withdraw 4% off of your um, retirement and that would be sustainable. Well, the reality of it is in today's super low interest rate environment and where we've, we're, we're on a historical bull market run in the stock market and the most of the analysts are suggesting that those returns in the market are going to be more tempered. I've heard, you know, five, maybe 6% the next five to 10 years. And if a retiree, you know, we, you know, has a lot of market volatility and down market years, that that's a, that's a much higher risk. A lot of the, the experts in the industries, the, the PhDs in finance and economics who do a lot of research on this are suggesting safer withdrawal rates are probably closer to 2 or 3% at best. Well, that again, like I said earlier, is a very low rate to have to rely on. So at some point, either live off of less money, and I say, you know, what retired wants to have to live off of less money, or you have to cut your spending if, if you're able to cut your spending or run the risk of depleting the account. And it's one of those things, if you run out of money, that's it. At 70, 80, 90 years old, you're not likely to be able to go back to work because nobody's going to be looking to hire you, unfortunately. So those are the, the misconceptions that you know a lot of people come to me on. Obviously, there's more that I reference in the book. Mark, every single thing you just said makes the realization of a comfortable retirement that much harder. Taxes are going to go up. The ability to withdraw is apparently diminishing because of uh, lower interest rates. How do you help? How do you help investors in an environment like this? Very good point. It, it can be difficult, and, and 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 clients come to me and say, "Do I have enough to retire?" And they always say, "There's two things that I need to know to answer that. I need to know how much you have or will expect to have when you want to retire and at what age, and then how much income or cash flow you need to generate." <clears throat> Those are the key things. So I have clients that have three plus million dollars of assets. And if they're looking to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in retirement, they may not have enough money. 
especially if there's longevity involved, you know, income taxes to deal with, uh, market risk, things like that. But I also have clients that have just several hundred thousand dollars, two, three hundred thousand of retirement assets, but with their social security and the way they spend money, they don't spend much, they're able to live very comfortably. So just because you have millions of dollars doesn't mean you have enough to retire. And just because you only have a few hundred thousand doesn't mean that you can't retire. So I look at, again, creating, again, goes back to creating cash flow, right? You can't rely on the rate of return, but if you can start to create cash flow strategies to maximize that income during retirement, that helps a great deal. So that could be in the form of high dividend paying stocks, real estate investments, various types of annuities. And, and annuities, I, I look at annuities are, you know, they're a different asset class. They have, they're, they're, you don't compare them to the CDs, you don't compare them to stocks or mutual funds. Annuities, nine out of 10 times are designed for safety and more so providing guaranteed lifetime income. And most of the PhDs in finance and economics that do research on retirement planning, their, their feedback has been, the results that they found is that incorporating some sort of annuities into a retiree's plan creates more sustainability, allows them to spend more retirement income without worrying about running out of money, which is the big risk of, of, of all retirees. It's like retirees want to spend money and enjoy. And I always tell them, look, you know, it's your retirement. You saved, you worked hard. Why not enjoy it? Why not be able to go out to dinner when you want to? Why not be able to travel when you want? Help your kids, help your grandkids. Do that, but then not have to worry about running out of money. So there's that balance there, and that's what I try to work on with my clients is to say, you know what, let's try to maximize your cash flow for retirement so you can do things you want, but also not worrying about if you live longer than you think that you'll have to run out, that you'll end up running out of money. Are annuities a preferred way of generating cash flow as opposed to dividends, which you didn't particularly like, and interest income? Uh, I believe in all of the above. You know, I like dividends and I like interest. Unfortunately, interest rates are so low that you know you're not going to get much income off of them. So, what I typically would look at is I use annuities for like at least to cover the baseline income. So, if a client says, you know what, I like to spend say six thousand dollars a month above and beyond social security. So I would say, okay, what's your, what do you need to cover your bills? And let's just say for simplicity, 3000 a month is what they need to pay their bills, property taxes, utilities, groceries. So I might look to say, let's take part of your assets and put into some sort of annuity where maybe we can generate five plus percent you know, cash flow rate from that. And that's guaranteed for as long as you live. And maybe we can have some sort of increasing cash flow or income option off of that. Then we could take the balance of the assets and create another 3000 that can go into some sort of stock or mutual fund or bond portfolio, you know, and diversify it that way, you know, real estate holdings, whatever it might be to generate that other income. And what do you do to protect your clients against the risk of inflation? Do you do something to provide a real rate of return? Oh, absolutely. And that's where, again, like I said, um, I like, you know, stocks, real estate have historically been, you know, long-term growth investment vehicles. And so I have clients that are in retirement and absolutely I, I carve out a part of those assets to be in the, in the, in the growth category to adjust for inflation. So 
I, I like to use what's called the bucket strategy, which I know a lot of advisors have, have heard of, where they take part of the assets and put in somewhere safe and spend that down and take another part of the assets where they can get a little bit better return, but then eventually will replenish the first bucket. And then the third bucket could be more the growth the long term. So even someone say 60, 65, that might have longevity of you know, 90, 95, they could take you know, a, a third of their assets um, and, and, and let it grow, you know, for the next 10, 15 years and not have to, as long as they don't have to rely on it for their retirement income. There's investments that have increasing dividends along the way. So we can get inflation protection from rising dividends. Also, there's different types of annuities that can give you increasing income. There's basic, you know, uh, income annuities that are inflation protected where you can get, you know, two, three percent or more increasing over time. You might start out with less income to begin with, but, over time, it'll increase, or there's a types of annuities that generate income that if a market index is positive, your uh, your interest, and that increases your income. But retirees, they have a different type of inflation risk, you know, long-term care costs and healthcare costs that could definitely impact that. So they need those rising costs as well. You discussed the difference between wealthy investors and the non-affluent. What's the difference between them? How can investors apply this difference, if appropriate, to their own situations? Yeah, very good question. So I, I get that a lot. I tell people all the time that think like the wealthy, invest and save like the wealthy, and you definitely do not have to be wealthy to apply the same principles and concepts and mindset that they do. So what I mean by that, to give you some examples, is the wealthy typically, and I've done a lot of research on this, the wealthy typically, they take, they take calculated risk where we as like, I call us like the, the, the average or retail investor that have been taught by, you know, the, the, the Wall Street firms and the mutual fund companies that, you know, invest in the stock market and hope it goes up. And yes, long term, it's grown, gone up. And if, you, you know, you have time on your side, but, you know, wealthy investors look to take calculated risk. They know why that's a good investment, what could go wrong, and you know, give it time. They also look to seek value. And that's a big difference too. Wealthy people saying, you know, am I getting value for your money? Where we're taught to think of cheapest is best. And all things being equal, yes. If you can get something cheaper, like I'll tell clients, look, I can recommend any type of investment for you. All things being equal, look, if investment A costs less than investment B, I'm going to absolutely recommend investment A for you. But if investment B has some sort of characteristic that makes more sense, let's say it's less volatile, it pays a dividend or a much higher dividend or whatever the case might be, we don't want to just eliminate investment B because it has a little higher expense. We want to evaluate everything as a whole. And that's how the wealthy people think. They look, you know, what's the value that I'm getting? Wealthy people, you know, people think, oh, they're wealthy. They don't mind spending money. Actually, that's the opposite. Most wealthy people, they want to spend, they want to get value for their money. They want to overspend. Um, also, cash flow. I, I watch uh, Shark Tank, and I always recommend to my clients, um, aside from the entertainment value of watching the TV show Shark Tank, it's a great educational tool because those wealthy investors, they think in terms of cash flow. They think in return, in, in return of their money versus return on their money which is a big difference. They want to get their money back. They want to put their money somewhere, these sharks, and they want to get their money back, but they also want to get cash flow from that money. That's their rate of return. And going back to the whole concept of cash flow is king, 
they think in terms of creating cash flow where we as retail investors are taught the return of our money. But these wealthy investors think of returning cash flow and they also have patience. You know, they're thinking long term. They're not worried about or thinking, okay, you know, what's my investment growth going to be in six months or a year? And I have a lot of investors and clients who are like, you know, they're looking out short term. And, I'm like, and I tell people, if you're going to invest, especially in the stock market or anything that has risk of your principal, it needs to be long term. Yeah, if you put your money in it and one year later you're up 20%, great. But the mindset still has to be, you have to think five, eight, 10 plus years out long term. And most investors aren't taught to think that way. They're, they're just unfortunately short term thinkers. Think cash flow, not rate of return. Thank you, Mark Mappa, for joining our show. And folks, get his book, Cash Flow is King. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast of value, consider passing it on to one other advisor. Also, feel free to contact me at gill at seekingalpha.com with your feedback. This is Seeking Alpha's Gil Weinrich.